You are now listening to the Conversationalist Podcast. Well, hello, and thanks for listening to a, another episode of the Conversationalist Podcast. I'm Jesse, and I'm here with Amanda. Hi. And we're going to be covering um, this past weekend's uh, Phoenix Comic Con. Um, it was our uh, first time at this uh, convention, so we have a lot to talk about. It was uh, a little bit different than what we're used to, so that's going to encompass episode 14. We'll be covering, um, even though it's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday convention, um, we were only able to attend Friday and Saturday, so um, we'll talk a little bit about, well, very shortly about the about the journey by getting there to um, the convention on Friday, first impressions, that kind of thing, and then like kind of you know just get into what we were able to see and do on uh, on Friday. So um, we live in Central California. It was a super long drive. It ended up taking about eight plus hours. Um, it ended up being like really hot there that weekend. Supposed to be record temperatures. Really didn't matter too much just because. Um, we're used to it. Yeah, we're used to it. It's hot where we are. It was equally hot there, so no biggie. Um, that and surprisingly, Phoenix uh, Convention Center actually had excellent air conditioning. I am at. I mean, I don't know. I mean, having gone to WonderCon and you know being at the Anaheim Convention Center, did did it, it didn't seem like as cool in that convention as it did in Phoenix, did it? Because I kind of thought it was like really cold. At the Phoenix one. Sorry, I'm chewing on my Boston baked bean. It's just really addicting. So, <laughs> the problem with California conventions is California, in general, seems to always underestimate their weather. So they don't think it it's as bad as it is. That's what I found. So they don't tend to run their air conditioning like they should in most places. So yeah, usually conventions here are hot. Or, or at least on the hotter side. I mean, they're never like ridiculously uncomfortable hot, but there's there's oh, they're just warm. Whereas like if in Phoenix, you would expect okay, it's 115 degrees outside. You know, it's gonna be that hot all weekend. That you know, and then with couple with all the people that are at this convention, that it would just be warmer. But like as soon as you like walk through those doors, you'd feel the like just how cool it was and and then like actually being on the convention floor even with everybody there like it just wasn't really uncomfortable that's because they know yeah i mean it's people Phoenix. are looking to get cool right they need yeah to have it cool in there yeah, it was it, nice yeah and it makes sense i mean it's phoenix like why would you have like bullshit air conditioning or not run it cool like if you're in like the middle of the desert so um that was a pleasant surprise um you know first thoughts as far as like parking and organization went um, we ended up getting um, parking in a parking garage that was like right across the street. Like it was catty corner to Phoenix uh, Convention Center. So, you know, it was really easy getting in there. It was, you know, a very short walk actually to the convention center. Um, initially when we checked in on Friday and we got there early enough to where they hadn't yet opened the convention floor or anything. Um, but because we hadn't picked up our... Um, badges on Thursday we had to pretty much walk all the way around the other side of the convention 
and uh, make it through these specific doors that they had designated for people who were trying to get in to, um, you know, get their get their badges. Um, the line wasn't terribly long, and you know we got through the process pretty quickly once they opened um, the registration area. Um, like off to the left, they kind of had um, a couple of lines for people that had already pre-purchased the badges to pick them up. Lines were pretty short, and then they had lines for people that were. Um, wanting to purchase badges um, that day and then off to the right they had the professional badges media badges which is where we went there was like no line um, so again pretty easy you know the, the one noticeable difference from what we're used to is with other conventions that we've been to is that when you get your badge you typically get like a lanyard you get a program you know for things that are happening at the convention you know obviously the schedule for what panels are happening that kind of thing you know, and then there's generally a map of what the layout is and where you can expect to find stuff. Um, there was none of that. So, you know, we got our badges, um, you know, and so we're just kind of like, okay, well, where's this other stuff? Uh, apparently, there was some sort of organizational snafu. So pretty much any place that was supposed to have programs or be handing out programs didn't have any. Um, so we ended up having to go out to the information booth, which also didn't have any. And had to, we were we ended up being in a fairly long line waiting for these programs. Um, it was probably about a twenty minute wait before they finally brought some out. And by that time, there was like an overabundance of them. But there were a lot of angry people, you know, being shitty to some of the convention staff. There were some convention staff that you know had being equally yeah. They had some fat attitudes. Um, I, you were mentioning that one girl who kind of. Was snapping back at people. I mean, I can understand her frustration. I mean, I know she's there like to assist, but you know, there were there were some people that were just being like big jerks about the programs. I won't say that like I wasn't without like some sort of you know like passive aggressive anger. I mean, I definitely wasn't shitty to any of the staff or anything, but I was just kind of like, really, like this is a big convention. They've been doing this for years and years. This is the same place every year. Like, programs is, like, one of the most basic things that, like, get handed out. So, like, to me, it just seemed kind of silly that... Really poor planning. Yeah, that they didn't really have any programs to give out on the beginning day of Friday, you know. So, it was kind of stupid, um, you know, but it is what it is. It was kind of dumb that we had to wait as long as we did for it. Um, but it really didn't, like, hinder our planning in any part, Um we planned to walk the convention floor anyway, so it, it wasn't like we had, um, like, any real plans. I think we did go to one convention that was that morning, um, so we'll get to that. Um, but anyways, we ended up going, uh, as soon as we got our, uh, our program after, you know, the long wait, we got our program, and then we made it over to the, um, the convention floor, so, um... I mean, like, what was your first impression? Because I know I, I knew I expected a certain, I don't know, I expected it to almost be equal to WonderCon, at least, only because it's Phoenix Comic Con, it's been there for a couple of years, it's, like, one of the biggest cons that they have, you know, in the state, and so, like, I just expected that it would at least be equal to the sister convention of Comic-Con, and I, you know, think that maybe I was expecting a little too much, but what, what was your first impression and then, like, the reality of what you actually saw? 
Really loving these Boston baked beans. Spill those beans. So, well, I mean, they're not, the conventions aren't related to the actual Comic-Con business. So, I didn't think they would be the same in that sense. The floor itself was a pretty basic Comic-Con floor or convention floor. Um, minus the big comic book names. They weren't there. Not that I saw anyways. Right, yeah, there wasn't anybody from Dark Horse or Image or Marvel or DC or any um, of those places. I don't know, it was, it was pretty standard floor. I mean, um, they had a lot of steampunk stuff, though, which was interesting to me. Well, it did seem pretty popular in general. There was a lot of people in cosplay. But there were also a lot of people in like post-apocalyptic cosplay as well. Which steampunk can kind of double as that because it has all the mechanical, right. weird and leathery crap or whatever. Yeah, I so, mean they're two. They're, I mean they are two different things, but I see what I understand what you're saying when, when you're saying like it could be one or the other because they kind of have a certain like style, if you will. So certain pieces could go for both. I yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't anything. Well, some of the booths kind of had like a swap meaty feel to me, which I thought was kind of strange. And then there were some that didn't fit, like the origami owl lady. Like, I really didn't think that belonged there. Well, and your point to that was that it's basically like an Avon type thing where it's not even like handcrafted by the person. It's not like anything that's, It's a pyramid scheme. It's the Avon of jewelry. Right. So... Yeah, you know, I mean, hell, if it gets you into the convention, I mean, she's probably thinking sales. I mean, maybe they had a shitload of, you know, spaces available at the, at the convention and as opposed to having like a bunch of empty spots that they're just like, okay, well, shit, we'll let you in. You know, I mean, that could be it. I didn't see a lot of empty spots, but we did notice that when we were walking the convention floor that there were a bunch of places that were supposed to have like you know, some sort of booth present, but there were just a lot of people that, uh, okay, I won't go as far as say a lot of people, but I would say I saw at least two or three where like you passed a booth and instead they just kind of had like a standee and like some papers, you know, like giving information on like whatever it is that they presented, you know, to the convention, but like there was nobody actually at the booth. And my thought was, is like, you know, I'm like, I wonder if these people actually like applied to be an exhibitor but then, like, didn't actually have anything to exhibit. But, like, maybe they wanted you to listen to their... Maybe they wanted you to listen to their podcast <laughs> or something. And so they have, like, a standee that's like, Hey, listen to my podcast. And they have a bunch of papers. And then they just go off on the convention floor and do whatever it is they do. Because I saw a couple of, um, like, empty booths. But you know what? I mean, to be fair, we've gone to WonderCon and there's been that too. Mm-hmm. And even Comic-Con... Even something as big as Comic-Con, there have been like a booth or two that there's nobody there. There's a, some informational pamphlets and shit. Um, yeah. You know, but those are probably smart people that like, you know, applied for a business license and have a business name and have technically been in business for however long. And so they can technically apply as an exhibitor because they've done that. So, I mean, kudos to them. It's not too expensive to get any of those things. Although I will say that I've noticed that some of the convention things are at least asking for like some sort of tax ID, I think. So, I mean, it's not hard to get that either, but still that's one extra step for somebody that doesn't 
is not legitimately like running a business and is basically using it as a front to get into the convention. But you can also use your social security number for that. No, that's true. Yeah, but that just seems unsafe. I'd rather have a tax ID. So, um, you know, so those were you know our thoughts. I mean, honestly, like my thought was, and Amanda pointed this out, is that it's yes, I understand it's not part of the same organization that San Diego Comic Con or WonderCon is. They're a different organization. Um, but what I meant is that. Like WonderCon is a sister convention to Comic Con. I understand they're, and they're you know they have the same organization like as far as an umbrella goes, and so you know, mean that a lot of these companies go to Comic Con that you know it's pretty much going to be easy for them to step in and also be there for WonderCon. But like my thought is is that like if Phoenix Comic Con is like the biggest like Arizona type comic book convention that there is that they would just have more pull to get at least some of these bigger names to their convention um you know but then I thought about it and I'm like okay these guys are obviously in the middle of June and then you know the next month you have you know Comic-Con um you know happening in July and maybe it's just a matter of it being so close to an event as big as San Diego Comic-Con that it's just not practical for a lot of these companies to say venture out to Phoenix when you know less than a month later they're going to be in San Diego. Um, but it was still it, it was still like how you expect any other convention to be. It's in general like the layout was decent, and uh, you know there were there were still a good amount of uh, of uh, vendors. Um, now one thing that did stand out for me is it seemed like there was actually actually like an abnormal amount of um different vendors that were trying to uh sell these like mystery boxes um and so like when we went to uh the uh, silicon valley comic-con there were like one or two vendors that were selling like these mystery boxes that kind of look like you know mario blocks and they were selling for like 50 bucks and like you know you get x amount 35 so they're 35 dollars you you know you get like at least 35 dollars worth of stuff and then Man, you know, <laughs> okay, I'm all wrong. I'm all fucked up. So they had little Mario blocks. They were selling for thirty five. You got at least fifty dollars worth of product, which is actually an overestimate, being as you're basically probably getting about less than thirty dollars worth of stuff, because that's what it is, and they're just giving a retail estimate of what these items are actually worth. But you have a chance to potentially win something, you know, super expensive like a PlayStation or an Xbox or whatever it is that they're saying that you know they're trying to get you to buy all these boxes. So. There were a cup. There were more than a couple of places that were all selling those types of boxes. There were one or two where it seemed like they were actually trying to weigh. They were trying to give away like bigger prizes, like the PlayStation or the Xbox or whatever, um, like as a grand prize when they're selling these boxes. And the boxes in general didn't look like shit. But then there were a bunch of other people that were like, I mean, you can basically tell it was a money grab, where they had like the ten dollar box, the twenty dollar box, the thirty five dollar box, the fifty dollar box. And, you know, oh, this box is just books. And, oh, this box might be just, like, a miscellaneous of anime. And this box might be this. But, you know, they were just, like, boxes. Like, they were... There's nothing fancy about the box. And then, like, when we were at one booth, there was a girl that bought, like, the $25 box or some crap like that. And then he opened it up, and this guy was, like... He thought it was his opportunity to, like, oh, look at all the stuff that you get. And then when you look in the box, and, like, she just got, like, two strips of, like, stickers that are probably out of the dollar bin at Target... 
some like manga book that probably costs like three dollars clearance somewhere else like some pencils and like a poster like a poster like i mean it was not worth the amount of money that she paid i mean and she was probably just like yay ha, you know like oh cool you know because the dude's like right there like showing off her box to like everybody else who was standing around trying to debate whether or not to get one and then when he did that i'm basically like uh yeah i'm not buying one of these boxes like that was the non-selling point for me because i'm like these fools are suckers that are buying these boxes it just seemed like i don't know it just to me it seemed like um you know it wasn't worth i mean obviously i mean it was almost like gambling i mean it was just like gambling like okay you're gonna throw this money down and you might come up with something sort of cool but more than likely you're not and Different types of boxes, though, because the mystery boxes, they were for 35 and they're cute. You know, they look like the Mario box. That's what I was the saying. The portal boxes. There were those at least the, two of them that had decent boxes. Those were the ones that were actually, you had the chance to get the good stuff. The one, the guy that had the tiered box system, he was a store owner and he was just trying to unload his crap. Yeah. So, I mean... Yeah, there were a lot of different mystery boxes, but I mean, you have to put into perspective too who they are and what they're trying to sell. Right, and that's what I meant is like there were the two boxes from other people where it actually seemed like you had the possibility of actually getting good stuff as like a grand prize. And in general, the box quality even seemed better as opposed to going to all these other places that are basically just trying to step in and be like a wannabe loot crate. Or, you know, saying that, hey, look, you can also win cool shit, too. <coughs> Except, yeah, there was nothing cool in any of those boxes. So, it seemed just, uh, I don't know. I thought it was retarded. So, um, you know, midway um, into the day, we ended up going to our first panel. Um, we went to our relaunches killing superhero comics. And... Um, the description of the panel is, it was just over four years ago that both DC and Marvel Comics relaunched their titles with a set of new number one comics and restarted the origin, uh, origins of many of their popular characters. They are both going through their relaunches again. And so that was like mid-afternoon and like while I'm talking, for whatever reason, I have like this terrible scratch in my throat. Like all of a sudden, it's like super annoying. <clears throat> so I'm trying to cough through this whole podcast, but Jesus... So, um, the, I thought the panel was pretty decent, a little informative. Um, we don't actually have a, the names of like some of the panelists. Um, the thing that sucked about this is that like any of the other panels that we've ever gone to of any other convention we've ever had, people have nameplates. And so what we would do is we would always take a photograph of the people that were on the panel. And then obviously we'd get their, um, you know, their names would be, you know, associated because it's in the picture, and so it was easy to refer to whoever it was we were needing to talk to. We never had to write it down. Um, so not only did we not write it down because we just didn't think to, is two, they didn't have freaking nameplates. It was super lame. And then in the uh, um, in the programs that they handed out, some of the programs didn't even actually have the names listed. You know, a lot of times you go to conventions and it at least has, like, the name of the people from like whatever podcast or like something and like there were a lot of times when um you would look to see additional you know you look to refer for additional information for whatever uh panel is coming up and amanda actually pointed this out was there were a bunch of them that were just like phoenix comic con staff you know it didn't like they had no idea who was gonna host the panel ahead of time or something like that so 
in this case, their names weren't listed. Kind of sucks. Um, I know one of them was Jesse James, who's like a local comic book owner in, you said Tucson? Was it Tucson? Oh, I think you said Glendale. Okay. Yeah, it might have been Glendale. So um, he had a uh, he had a booth out there. He was never really at it. He was doing a bunch of different panels. Um, but uh, there were a couple of other people that, you know, had, had their hands in like, you know, different... Uh, comic books you know comic book development artists uh and so um the the debate was pretty lively um i know that like basically the way it was explained you know because there were people that you know some people weren't necessarily happy with uh a lot of the relaunches and you know um what the panelists were trying to explain is that like if you're not happy with the relaunches then you must not be that old of a fan of comic books because what they were explaining is that you know, these companies are always doing relaunches all the time. You know, a lot of the timelines aren't always the same. You know, it's really impossible for them to, you know, be true to any particular, um, like, storyline just because, like, they go back so far. And that, you know, sometimes, you know, they might do, like, a 12-part series um, that obviously would appeal to a collector that doesn't necessarily go with, like, the whole the whole overall storyline and it might be kind of a niche thing um you know and so you know that kind of thing happens all the time and you know they even pointed out that in some cases you know artists and even writers change in the middle of a series and so in essence you know you're getting sort of a relaunch so to speak because you know the style of the writing is different the artistry is different and so in a sense, it's almost like a different feel of comic, even though it's like within the same, you know, might be in the same story arc. Um, you know, so they were kind of pointing out a lot of those things and that, um, you know, ultimately things could go back to the way they were and that, you know, none of these changes are necessarily permanent. And, you know, and just for an example, you know, like Thor being a female, you know, the possibility of, we you know, like, uh, Captain America being a deep cover Hydra agent. Um, you know, I think there's just all these different changes where like pretty much any uh, any white superhero is now going to have an ethnicity and any male superhero is now going to be a female. Like, you know, there's just all kinds of, you know, agenda pushing, uh, agenda pushing and like switcheroo type stuff. That's going on. I think that's frustrating a lot of fans. You know, even some fans that are new. Um, I mean, I too have my frustrations with like, you know, a lot of the, you know, swapping and, you know, gender swapping and all that kind of crap to appease all these different people that think that like every superhero has to have an ethnicity and that it's, you know, bad to keep everything the way it is. Um, but... You know, and, and some change is good. I just think that they're doing it too abruptly and they're doing too many at one time. Um, I mean, what was your thought? Um, I don't know. They All the panelists really seem to... I, I don't know. They kind of gave vague answers because it seemed like if they didn't agree with the relaunches, it would be hurting their industry because... Two of them, you know, the one guy owns a comic book shop. So if he's going to tell people he doesn't like relaunches, who's going to come into his store and buy a relaunch of a of a character? 
Right. The other girl, the girl, she was a manager of a comic book store. Her own comic book store. Yeah. So if she, I mean, she was the only one that said that she kind of had an issue with one of them, but overall she was on board with it. But it's the same thing. If she's going to not like everything and her, are her customers going to come in and want to buy those new relaunches? No. Because, I mean, if you're, you know, really enthusiastic about it and then you're, you know, or you're not enthusiastic about it, your customers aren't going to be. And then that one guy, he writes Yeah, he for writes comics, and draws so, for them, yeah. Um, hi, here's not your job anymore if you're not going to be on board with whatever <laughs> your employer is going to tell you to do. Right. And I don't even know what that other random guy on the panel was for. He, was he said like he'd gone to school as like an artist and like he had done like some small projects or whatever. But like he was like a Phoenix college graduate student in artistry or something, but he hadn't really done much. Basically, he was just there. <laughs> he was not nearly as accomplished as any of the people on the panel, and he didn't really say a heck of a lot, but he did have some basic knowledge of comics because he was a fan. So, yeah. well, the X-Men was his... His, his forte. forte. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we enjoyed the panel. I mean, it was good to see a different perspective, I think, because I was just kind of clouded by, like, you know, just generally not liking them. Because I almost feel like the industry is just kind of doing a money grab. And, you know, they're basically relaunching all these comics, whether or not some of the ideas are shit or not. And are basically, like, shotgun blasting a pile of crap onto a wall and hoping to see what sticks. You know, if there's something that's popular... You know, and it makes sales, then they might keep it that way. Obviously, if something's not so popular and everybody hates it, then they'll kind of revert back to their old ways. And, you know, so there'll be some that'll go back to the way it was and then others that won't. And, I mean, to me, it just seems like they're basically just re-rolling the dice and re-rolling the dice and to see, you know, what's going to sell them, you know, the most, you know, copies of comics. Which, I mean, I'm not saying, oh, evil corporations, you're not allowed to make money. But at the same time, like, these are pop cultural icons that people have grown up with and have grown accustomed to and that people, like, truly adore and, you know, have a lot of emotional investment in these things. I mean, whether or not some people find that stupid, you know, you can find it stupid, but, you know, ultimately there are a lot of people that have, like, a real emotional attachment to these characters, you know, growing up with them and, you know, from when they were little or whenever they could start reading comic books you know, to just go in and, like, you know, clean slate these characters, change everything about them, um, you know, is kind of a slap in the face to the fandom, in my opinion. And so I think it really does a disservice to, you know, all of these fans, you know, to constantly be, I mean, basically dismissing the feelings of at least a good portion of, you know, fans that aren't happy with this, you know. So ultimately, I hope some of them don't work out so that we can just kind of go back to some of the old superheroes that we're used to and... You know that uh, you know we'll revert back to the old way for some. So I mean, Captain ult- America. Yeah, Captain America for sure. It's it's completely egregious that he would be a bad guy. Captain America is above all that bullshit. If anything, it should be oh he's a deep cover Hydra agent, and then he tricks Hydra into thinking that he really is a Hydra agent, only so he can kick more Hydra ass. You know that makes more sense. So. Um, you know, after that, uh, panel was over, we walked the main floor a little bit more, um, and then, uh, you know, we realized, uh, looking at the program that there were a ton of, uh, after hours activities, um, we ended up bringing 
our kids. So it kind of put a big damper on that because, um, you know, obviously on on the catalog, there were a lot of things that were general audience. There were a lot of things that were, you know, designated 18 plus, And there were a lot of other things that were designated 21 plus. And so what sucked is like, there were plenty of things we wanted to go to. that were 18 plus 21 plus. We just obviously couldn't go because of, um, our kid situation. So, you know, our thought was, is like, having not known this when we shown up is that, you know, definitely next year, if we do come back to Phoenix comic con, um, you know, that we're actually going to do it without kids so that we can get the full experience of Phoenix comic con, because we just didn't have the opportunity to do a lot of the, uh, the after hour stuff. And there was plenty of it. There were tons of things to do. Um, after hours to me, it almost seemed like they stayed up really late compared to like San Jose Comic-Con or, or WonderCon or any of those other places. I mean, generally, it seemed like some of them didn't go quite as late as this one did. Um, you they know. just advertise. To me, they just advertise their activities, the bigger conventions. Uh, to me, it's a popularity contest over there. You just have if to be in the know, you right? You have to. It's who you know. And to me, here, they just they put everything out there. If you want to go, then go. Which is cool because, I mean, how many times were we kind of like... We would hear that something's going on. We're like, oh, where's that? We're like, oh, okay. You know, we'd find out about like one or two things. But I mean, truly, there's a lot of things that happen after a lot of these conventions. But, you know, only people that have been going to those conventions for like years and years or have like a shitload of friends or network people like, you know, actually know about all the things that are going on. So, I mean, I guess that makes sense because there were plenty of things that were going on at the convention that just had like a general invite. But a lot of them, though, they... um they were, uh, you know, like meeting at like particular like panel rooms or whatever. Um, you know, it, it it seemed pretty cool. So, um, you know, with that in mind, if you're, uh, you know, considering say going to Phoenix Comic Con, I would highly suggest if you have kids that you find a sitter, um, and not to go with the children because our kids in general had fun to a certain extent. I think that they could have been happy with just one day. <laughs> um, and that would have been good enough for them. Uh, yeah, because we made the next day panel day and they got bored. Yeah, I mean, there's only so much to do on the sales floor. I mean, if you're not spending, a, you know, a gajillion dollars on a bunch of different products, which we tend not to do. We, you know, we probably buy a couple of things here and there, um, you know, but we like to, you know, go for the panels and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, most of the convention can be done in a day, you know, with kids. So, um, you know, with that said definitely go without them um just so that you can you can get the full experience you know after hours included um so you know that pretty much wraps up friday um we move on to um saturday um saturday we decided to do a ton more panels um just because we pretty much seen what we wanted to see on the convention floor and so our first panel was uh zombies government and you how to survive thrive and live free um, the description was, um, worried about the undead running amok, uh, turning your family into meat sickles. You don't have to expecting the government to help. It won't or can't. We're offering free market voluntary solutions to the zombie apocalypse. Knowledge is power. Arm yourself or become lunch for the undead horde. Launch. Don't make fun of my typo. <laughs> my show notes. Launch. That was the fucking autocorrect. Launch. So, um... You know, I mean, what, what did you think of that panel going into that one? Um, I was, 
<laughs> you gave me the scratch in your throat, jerk. Yes. It's because I made fun of your launch. Um, well, reading, <laughs> reading the description, I was really excited to get in there. Um, only because it seemed, I don't know, it seemed interesting. Maybe you could apply some of those things to, you know, events that would not be actual zombie related. Because I don't think an actual zombie outbreak would ever happen. Never um, know. Yeah, I know. Flesh eating <laughs> bacteria stole that lady's limbs or whatever. Did you see that story? Yeah, that's oh, kind of old. But random segue. Not... <laughs> hey, shut up on Yahoo's front page today. Yeah, it's, Yahoo's always like recycling old shit. Anyway, so we get in there, though, and the panel isn't really that. It was just more... Well, they tried. Well, right? they did try. They had a list, you could tell. They were trying to go off of it, but there was, like, stupid people on the panel that were just, like, not in the panel, but, like, in the audience in the panel that were, like, what if That wanted to be on the panel? Yeah, that were, like, what ifing the dudes that were trying to run it to, like, the extent where... They couldn't really get past, like, certain topics because they were just like, well, if you wanted to do this, then you'd have to do this, but then it wouldn't really work, so then you have to do this. And then there was, like, the Kirby, like, freaking the bunker dude trying seller to sell the bunkers. for, like, $100,000 who just wouldn't shut up about it. Like, three just... times he kept talking about the stupid bunkers, and finally the guy had to cut him off and, like, try not to be rude, but it's like, seriously, like, if you don't talk to me about bunkers, you can talk to me after the panel? Like, seriously. I mean, really, I mean, to, 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 like, you know, to put an analogy out there as to, like, what this panel was like is that these guys knew where they wanted to go. They got in their car and they started to drive down the street. And then everybody who was asking questions that weren't necessarily asking questions to, like, kind of further the panel along on its topic is you would get somebody in the back seat that would just grab the wheel and pull. And the fucking person is trying to stay on the road, but this person's trying to really get their car into an embankment. Like, that was, like, the best as I can describe it. Like, they were just, like, they weren't helpful to, like, the overall thing. Because you just had all these people that thought that they were, like, super expert zombie apocalypse survivors. Because they watched two episodes of Fear the Walking Dead, but don't know what Walking Dead is. Like, I mean, these people were just completely fucking stupid, you know. Um, annoying. Yeah, it just got really annoying because you're like, you know what, if you know so much, like, why didn't you just fucking petition... The Phoenix Comic Con people to try to, you know, have your own panel, but instead, like, you're sabotaging this dude's panel, and, like, you know, you're constantly putting this dude on a defensive so that you can try to, like, prove to your buddies or other people that are in the audience that, like, somehow you have, like, as deep a knowledge as they do. Like, it's like, I mean, obviously, if you know more than them, like, you can do two things, is you can raise your hand and maybe make a point once, or you can get up and walk out of the panel and go to something that's more worth your time. As opposed to, like, fuck these guys over that are just, you know, obviously trying to provide some sort of, you know, relevant content to the audience. And I thought they did a pretty good job of trying to stay on track. And they did have some good information. And it just seemed like they weren't really able to kind of go as far as they wanted to go with their topic because they were constantly getting derailed. Yeah, because people are idiots. Yeah. I don't know. It made me want to listen to their podcast, So I mean, it wasn't horrible. It's just... People in the audience were stupid. Do you recall what their podcast was? Yes, Zombies, Government, and You. (laughs) 
And there it is, folks. <laughs> well, no, that was the one, guys. The other one, they have a 90s podcast, which is like too legit or with Drew and Nick or something like that. <laughs> I don't even know. I, I don't know. I, the kids got stickers. Yeah, that's cool. But yeah, the, the first one, because they had the flag in the back, and that's what it said, that it's always government in you. So it was like a liberty-driven podcast or something like that. So I'm pretty sure that's the name of it. Yeah, because Merca, don't trust the government. That's right. So, um... But you didn't hear that from us. <laughs> yeah, if the government says we're here to help you, you'd be fucking... <laughs> you'd be on your toes with your gun loaded. Um, so, uh... After that panel, um... We went over to our second panel of the day, which was called Masterpiece Theater, Goosebumps. And so on this one... They basically did, um, well, I'll just give you the description. It says, Goosebumps, if you've never seen it before, the comedians from National Comedy Theater take out all the sound and create a new dialogue, sound effects, and more live. And the panelists were Derek Thiessen, Frenchie Lynn, Augustine, Jacob Talbert, Jesus Chewy Huerta, and Mike Mayfield. And so these guys were a bunch of local comedians that basically did like a, like a riff tracks thing. You know, all the audio's gone from Goosebumps in the episode that they played was Camp Nightmare, and so for any of you that don't remember, way back when, when they were releasing and pumping out Goosebumps books like fucking crazy, they also had a short run of um, Goosebumps uh, television shows that were based off of the books, and they were super cheesy. Yeah, yeah, very much like that, and I remember watching this particular episode like on Fox, um... Because at the end, you're like, whoa. Whoa, what the fuck? Like, I mean, if you didn't read the book, but I had read the book, so I knew exactly what was going to happen. But it was, you know, cool to see the show as a show when you'd already read the book. Because you're like, oh, well, this is what it looks like. The book was better. Yeah, the book was so much better. I was They cut so much out of the book. Like, it was too fucking... 90s oh. hipster before hipster <laughs> was a thing. Yeah. So, um, it, it was really funny. I thought they did a really good job of kind of riff tracking the... Um, the show and what was funny is I'm like you know what I'm like this is actually like a really good idea I mean if like we ever wanted to do like a panel you know we could totally fucking riff track some bullshit like some stupid lame you know TV show I mean it would be like so easy to do I mean I say that now except if I were to get into mm-hmm. a, a fucking audience with like 800 people watching and I'm like oh must be funny must fire on all cylinders and then they start like playing the fucking show and I'm all like uh uh I think I left my burrito in the microwave <laughs> you know uh, you know probably wouldn't be uh, the Cricket. funniest thing yeah I'd be like fuck you know so um, I thought they did a good job I enjoyed it um, you know, the kids enjoyed it, and so it was kind of something that, you know, we took them to just because we didn't want to take them to a bunch of, like, adult panels, which is basically what we did. Like, we tried to take them to a panel afterwards. So after this panel was over, um, there was a, a panel called um, Who's That Pokemon um, for the panel that was right after the Goosebumps panel. Um, and, like, basically that panel was basically like a Pictionary, but for Pokemon, you know, somebody draws their Pokemon, and the other person's got to try to guess what it is. Seemed kind of stupid, but, um, like, the kids really wanted to go to it. And so we were going to go, except for when we got to the freaking panel room, the fucking room was, like, completely full, and there were a shit ton of people waiting in line outside. Um, basically, like, there was no way we were getting into that fucking panel room. Like, it wasn't going to happen, because there were probably not a lot of people that were going to leave the room. And then there were just a ton of people waiting to get into it. 
So there were definitely a lot of Pokemon fans there, and uh, we basically bailed on that because we're like, fuck this, we're not waiting in this line, we're definitely not doing standing room only bullshit. So um, the third panel ended up working out because I wanted to go to this panel instead of the uh, Pokemon panel anyways, and this one was, whoa, Battle of the Keanu's. Um, The description is, could Neo use the Matrix to defeat unstoppable assassin John Wick? Who would win, Point Break's Johnny Utah or Speed's Jack Traven? Would Ted Theodore Logan mop the floor with Devil's Advocate? Join us for an interactive panel in which we determine which Keanu Reeves characters would survive. And so the panelists were Alice Baker, Andrea Kaufman, Anthony Thornton, Jacob Talbot, Chrissy Lentz, and Nathan Blackwell. And so um, some of these people had their own podcasts they recently launched. Other people, I don't know what the hell they did, but they were part of the panel. Because um, they were guests on the podcast. Oh, okay. So they were part of the podcast. So that was the point of them trying to do this battle of the Kianos because... They had done it as a podcast show? That is the podcast, is the battle of the <sighs> Kianos, which I don't I don't see as a podcast because it's just... To me, it seemed like a very interactive thing with an audience, which worked. We had fun. It was, yeah. It was but fun as a, as a podcast? Panel, but that would be boring as... Sorry. Yeah. As a podcast, it's like... That just, I mean, it's very much a debate. I mean, the way it worked, and it was, um, you know, after the fact, because when we were at uh, WonderCon, um, you know, this past, it was April, right? We're in WonderCon. Sure. Whenever Easter was. Yeah, it was like April, April, yeah, March, April, whatever. March or April, what the fuck? So um, when we were there, we went to a Rotten Tomatoes panel, and so it seemed to work basically the same. So, like, the way the Rotten Tomatoes panel worked is, like, basically somebody says, this movie's the best movie ever, and here's why. Or, this is the worst movie ever, and here's why. And so they would provide, you know, information on why it's the worst or the best for one minute. The panelists agree or disagree, and then they get a rebuttal. And then after that, the audience decides, yay or nay. And then, you know, somebody dresses a fucking tomato um, you know, pulls up on their little phone and says, yeah, this was certified fresh at this much percent. And so that's how it went. And so the way the Keanu panel worked was, okay, it's going to be Ted Theodore Logan versus John Wick or, you know, or something to that effect. And so, you know, you basically had the panelists saying, oh, well, fucking Ted Theodore Logan would do this with a time machine or whatever, whatever. And somebody would be like, well, John Wick's a fucking badass and he's killed a million people and he's the fucking boogeyman. Like, you know, and so, you know, there were, they'd take a couple of audience questions and the audience might, you know, provide some sort of perspective and then they'd be like, okay, you know, give us a yay or nay for this person. And they'd say, okay, for Ted Theodore Logan, people would be like, ah, people for John Wick, ah, and whichever one was louder, then they went on to the next round. And that's pretty much how it went. In the end, the very final, um... Group of Keanu's was Ted Theodore Logan versus John Wick. Guess who won? I don't know. Who won? <gasps> John Wick. Of course. Yeah. I mean, Ted Theodore Logan uh, pulled out some wins that uh, people did not expect. You know, obviously having the time machine played in that equation quite a bit. But in the end, you know, you can't, you can't fucking be like, oh yeah, time machine with fucking John Wick. John Wick will kill him before he can dial the numbers in that fucking phone booth. <laughs> Um, so, you know, there's that. But somebody was like, oh, but what if Ted Theodore Logan never killed his puppy? (laughs) You know, what if he went back in time and saved his puppy? And then it's like, okay, well, how would he know that John Wick lost his puppy in the first place? It just, it it was, it was, it got really silly after a while. 
Yeah. Um, but it was still fun. Still had a good time. I I'm a huge fan of Keanu Reeves. Um, really really love all of his movies. I've seen even like even the fucking love story movies. You know, I'll watch anything that has Keanu Reeves in it. So, um... Guy's a vampire. He never ages. I know. He ages timelessly. I can only hope to fucking, you know, like, age as, age as well as he has. So, um... You know, again, I just I just really enjoyed the panel. I think everybody else did, too. Shit. I mean, I think even the kids got into it just because it was so interactive. <laughs> so, um... They yelled out plenty of woes. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> yeah. I'm an FBI agent. <laughs> Yeah, so, um... Ooh, I have that recorded now. <laughs> oh, speed? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's fucking great. Oh, no, wait, we have point break recorded. Oh, yeah. That's point break. No, oh. I think... I know, oh, I think... speed I think was I... on the other day, though. Speed it was... was supposed to record, it didn't. Speed was on the other day, but I think I recorded point break. Because point break was playing on HBO, and I was like, oh, fuck! I was like, I fucking love point break. It was a good movie, so... Oh, I'm still trying to figure out how our thing records. We got DirecTV now. We used to have UVerse. It's a little bit different. It is better. It's just like the whole um, internet recording thing works a little differently than UVerse did, but still good. And I got an NFL Sunday ticket. Whoop! Um, so, anyways, um, after going to the third panel, we went over to the fourth panel, which, again, was zombie apocalypse related. Um, it was the evolution of the zombie. And so I thought this was going to be pretty interesting. And it ended up being pretty interesting. The dude was super knowledgeable. He looked um, like Ed Sheeran. And I have no idea who that is. She told me before. Singer. I still don't know. He's singer. A singer. Yeah, so if you imagine the singer and then it looked like that dude. <laughs> um, the description was author and special effects artist Craig W. Chenery will provide an in depth look at how Hollywood has changed the appearance of the zombie over the past 80 years. And so. He was the only panelist. I mean, basically, it wasn't even a panelist. It was like he was at a podium, and he's basically talking about just the overall evolution of the zombies. So he had a good PowerPoint presentation. He goes, like, all the way back to, like, 1930 with, like, some... I mean, they're not even fucking F movies. Like, they're just terrible. Um, But, you know, he goes all the way back to the 1930s and shows what zombies look like. And slowly, slowly, slowly in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, how they develop. You know, the 70s kind of changes everything. How there's more movies that come out in the 80s, and then... You know, 90s and all the way into, uh, you know, what we get today with obviously big names, um, you know, being involved in a lot of zombie type movies. You know, how certain movies have changed, like, you know, how zombie movies work because, you know, you had older movies, older zombie movies that dealt with like zombies liking brains. And then you have other ones where there's like hordes of zombies that move really slow, you know, and then obviously there's movies like fucking 28 Days Later. Um, you know, we're, you know, they're running at you at a full fucking sprint, you know, and they're not necessarily like, you know, coming back from the dead per se, as it is like a viral infection that like, you know, spreads from your blood or saliva or whatever. Um, you know, and then they, he brought up the one movie that he wasn't necessarily too happy with. What was the movie called? Where the... Warm Bodies. Yeah, Warm Bodies, where like, you know, the zombies have feelings and shit. Um, you know, when there were people asking about whether or not he's seen the iZombie shows, which I still haven't seen. I have them on Netflix, um, you know, like, saved. I just haven't bothered to watch it yet. Um, you know, and just, like, how Walking Dead has, like, made, you know, uh, zombie shows more popular than ever. You know, so much so that there's now a sister show to it, Fear the Walking Dead, which obviously, if you've watched Fear the Walking Dead and Walking Dead, you know that Fear the Walking Dead, uh... Cannot hold the candle to The Walking Dead. They all need to die off. 
Or they need to merge the shows or something like, oh, hey, we met in the middle on uh, Most of You Die. They already <laughs> said that couldn't happen, though. Yeah, I know. Because of the timelines. I know, the timelines, the timelines. So, um, yeah, you know, um, it was good. It was, uh, it was good. Um, the, the panel was uh, decent. Um, like I said, he, he, did, he was pretty well prepared. I mean, uh, he even mentioned some of the books that he was trying to write. One of them was like a... On a history of zombies, apparently there's like at least 15, what do you say, 15 like thousand movies or like 15, he was an ungodly amount of fucking movies that he said he's like trying to watch to have like a, like a zombie history book, like a dictionary of sorts. So it was neat. He was well prepared. Um, so, um, we move on to another panel we tried to go to a second we could try to go to a panel right after that which was the marvel jeopardy genius edition with the arizona avengers um problem is is that line for that one was almost like it was it paled in like it made the pokemon line look like child's play like the pokemon line was super huge but this fucking panel um for this jeopardy edition arizona avengers bullshit was insanely long, ridiculously crazy, and we basically were not going to get into that even if we tried. Um, the panel room wasn't very large, and there were just a shit ton of people trying to get in. So um, we decided to, you know, say fuck that. We went back on the con on the comic con floor and basically just kind of milled around looking for, you know, just making a second pass at anything that we missed or anything that we wanted to look at. And so it was at this time that I was like, you know what? What was it? Tea Turtle? Is that the name of the place? Or was it Tea Fury? Tea Turtle. So, okay, we went to Tea Turtle. And I'm like, oh, I think I want to get this shirt. And they're like, oh, hey, buy this bag of shirts. It has three shirts in it. You can get three shirts for, what was it, 40 bucks? And I was like, you can get three mm-hmm. shirts for 40 bucks. So you're getting three shirts for, you know, the price of $40 and, you know, when they normally cost $20 each. So you're getting an extra shirt for free. And I'm like, oh man, this is a good idea. And I'm looking on the wall and I'm like, you know what? T-Turtle's got a shit ton of shirts on here that are super cool. So like there's a pretty good chance that I'm going to get some decent shirts. So I paid the 40 bucks. I opened this bag and it's the three worst shirts ever. I hated every single one of those shirts. Like none of them are any good. (laughs) And I'm like, son of a bitch. I'm one of those suckers. Like I'm like, I wasn't going to be one of those suckers that bought one of those stupid boxes or get ripped off like that girl that bought the $25 box that got a bunch of fucking bullshit stickers. I mean, obviously I got t-shirts that fit me, but like I hated all of them. Like I'm not going to wear them all. I don't even wear white and like one of the shirts is white. Like nobody wears white shirts anymore. I'll wear it. So I'm just like, man, I'm like, this is lame. Like I was, I got fucking ripped. And then I was, I felt dumb because I'm like, you know what? I was just saying how like nobody could fuck me over because I'm too cheap to be fucked over and I'm good with my money. And then I got fucking worked by T Turtle, really gave it to me. So. But they usually have really cute shirts. So. That's why I thought I thought that I was like totally like good. Like I thought that there was no way that I was gonna get a bad shirt. Like, it you know I mean statistically speaking, like you know one of three of those shirts was gonna be good, and somehow I got fucked, which is <laughs> bad because that was the only one sh- that was the only one bag that was left on the table. And part of me was like, you know, I should ask for one in the back. And I didn't, and that's what fucked me, is I should have went with my gut instinct and asked for the one that was in the back, because they still had a lot left. And I shouldn't have taken the one that was on the table. Not that that would have increased my odds, but maybe it would have. Mm. I went against my gut. 
So finally, we kind of wait around um, on the panel floor and we went to our fifth panel, which was our fifth and final panel for Saturday. And again, it was a post-apocalyptic obsession. And so the description is, throw on your shoulder pads and come to learn about how the post-apocalypse has taken hold in our culture. We will discuss movies, fiction, and realities of the end times and what the end of days post-apocalyptic pre-enactment organization is all about. Very lofty goals they set for what they wanted their panel to be about. However, it had nothing to do with any of that. Any of that except for the very last line where they talked about what the organization is all about. Yeah, I mean, really, it was a lot of people that knew a lot of friends that dressed up in post-apocalyptic gear that all showed up, talked, and I mean, the thing was is a lot of these people had gone to Wasteland Weekend um, here in California um, last year. They really enjoyed it, and they thought that it was awesome, and they wanted to start their own chapter here um, in the Arizona area, somewhere around Phoenix, Tucson, or whatever. I said four years ago. Because the guy who bought the land and stuff, and they'd done it for a couple years. Yeah, so I stand corrected. They, they, Anyways, they had gone to Wasteland Weekend. They enjoyed it, and they wanted to start their own thing here. And so this dude bought a shit ton of land, and um, you know they've been doing it there for a while, and they're slowly getting... Um, you know, more and more stuff to kind of sort of try to compare to Wasteland Weekend, but they're nowhere near that yet because Wasteland Weekend's been around a lot longer, and so there's a there's a shit ton of stuff to do there. Um, but these people seem nice, and, you know, they were really looking for a lot more people to get into it, and, um, you know, they had, like, a firing range, and, you know, they have, uh, like, a go-kart race kind of demolition derby thing where they're firing paintball guns at each other, and... You know, just general camping and you know, they kind of have like a like a flea market, you know, to kind of help like build your your post-apocalyptic zombie gear and whatever. Um, there were some people that had like some super cool costumes that obviously spent a shitload of time um, on their costumes. There were other people that you know, just looked like they hadn't tried so much. And so the one couple that I want, that I brought up, well, there was, there was this couple that came in. They were sitting um, near the front and... The, the husband had this, like, super fancy top hat. It looked like he spent a shitload of time on this hat. It was, like, made of, like, license plates and all this bullshit. And bottle caps. Yeah. It was pretty fucking cool. Like, you can tell he spent a good amount of time on it. But the rest of his outfit was kind of like, eh. But then his wife or girlfriend, whoever she was, she was, like, head to toe, like, super impressive, like, fucking um devil's in the details like she definitely did a good job on her outfit she had feathers coming out of her fucking head like all this different stuff like dangling off like her outfit looks super cool and i guess they said that like she actually was like you know really good at that kind of designs designing in general i mean like she has a has a business and that's what she does and apparently she's won a shit ton of awards like for cosplay crap that had to do with like the post-apocalyptic kind of um dress up stuff so um, it was just neat. I mean, they, like I said, they talked about, you know, their, um, event, which is like, what is it? Uranium Springs. Yeah. Uranium Springs. Uh, they have a Facebook page where they're trying to get people to, um, you know, volunteer their time to help, you know, or any materials or any sort of stuff like that. Um, they want your busted cars and old tires. Yeah. And they want to turn it into a little dumping ground, make it look like it's. You know, all blown out and stuff. I want burning cars and bullshit. So, um, you know, it was cool. It wasn't quite what we were hoping for from the panel. Just because, 
like you read the description and then like when you're in there you're kind of like okay these aren't even the same things Not but at all. but we stayed and we're just kind of like eh. i mean we're definitely like the odd people out there were a shitload of people there they were all dressed up all crazy and stuff and we're just over here like we want to talk about post-apocalyptic obsession and instead it was like for you know post-apocalyptic cosplayers so um you know after that was all said and done um you know we had a good time at the convention we definitely plan on going back again we'll probably go back without kids and uh you know get a better and full experience of everything that uh you know we want to do um so you know we uh overall really liked it but we're not going to look forward to having to drive all the way back there again that fucking drive is hella long like it's like if you've ever gone to vegas the trip there you're like yeah yeah and like getting to vegas like doesn't take very long and then the drive back tends to take long because you're like you're so you've had fun at vegas and you're driving back and it's kind of like fuck this is long imagine that being twice as long or even three times as long with that feeling that's what it's like driving to phoenix like god dang it you know, you almost want to fly out there, but I don't have that kind of money, so <laughs> it is what it is. Um, so uh, after um, the convention, we uh, decided that we were going to go see a movie um, before we headed back um, the next day, and so um, we decided to uh, go see X-Men Apocalypse, and so we're going to do um, a review on that movie um with spoilers so if you want to hear the review of that movie with spoilers um you can just uh listen till the end of the podcast and then we'll start the review and then that'll be the final um so before we ended up leaving uh phoenix um after the convention was all said and done um amanda got on google and okay phoenix has as many circle k's as like seattle has starbucks there were Circle K's like every two blocks from each other. There were a ton of them. And, uh, you know, if any of you are familiar with Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures, um, you know, there was this like one Circle K where, you know, a lot of shit happened. You would have to be familiar with the Circle K if you've ever seen that movie because they say strange things are afoot at the Circle K. I mean, <laughs> it's right there. Yeah. And so... Um, she went and looked on Google to find this, uh, specific Circle K and, um, we ended up finding this one and it wasn't too far from where we were. So... At a Circle K. Yeah, we were at a Circle K trying to look for a different Circle K. And so, um, we made our way over, uh, to this Circle K that was still there. Um, you know, it was the, uh, Circle K where Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures was partly filmed. So we made our way over there and bought some stuff in the Circle K and then took a selfie and took a picture of the Circle K before we left uh, before we left Phoenix and um, I bought the worst Slurpee I've ever had there. Like it was so basically gross. like sink water in ice. Like it was t- it That's sucked. That's what it tasted like. It tasted like dishwater. The it's... way dishwater smells is how that tasted. Like seriously, that was the most garbage um, Slurpee I've ever had. It was so disappointing because I was expecting it to taste like so delicious like from the Bill and Ted's. Circle K it was just a disappointment, but it was so cool to like you know just get there and and uh, and go before we left. So um, 
Again, that's pretty much it for the podcast. Uh, stick around to the very end if you want to hear our review of um, X-Men Apocalypse. Um, you know, you can check us out on uh, Facebook um, at uh, Conversationalist. Uh, you can listen to us on SoundCloud um, at uh, That Conversationalist. Uh, check us out on iTunes or download us on iTunes under uh, Conversationalist. And um, you can also uh, check out... Um, our Twitter, which is at that con podcast. Um, you can email us if you have any questions, comments, or concerns um, at uh, that conversationalist at gmail.com. So thanks for, li- thanks for listening. Um, this is episode 14, um, Phoenix Comic Con edition, and we bid you good day. Bye. 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 <laughs> <laughs> All right, so if you stuck around this long, you want to know about X-Men Apocalypse, so we're just going to get right into this. We're going to try to be more linear about um, the review of this movie. We actually tried to do a review yesterday about this movie, and I was bouncing all over the fucking place. I was like a pinball machine. I'm like, blink, 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 blink. Like, I'd be like, oh, here's the part about the first part of the movie, and here's the last part of the, the last part of the movie, and then, oh, but there was the middle part of the movie. It was just all over the place, so we had to re-record this fucking thing, because I was just all over the place, and then Amanda was just kind of like, yeah, like, and stuff. Because I had a migraine, and I told you yeah. that. Yeah, whatever. So, um... Anyway. Yeah, anyways. Nobody cares about your migraine. We want to hear about a movie review. <sighs> <laughs> so, so, um, X-Men Apocalypse. Um, I mean, just in general, before we get into, like, the details of the movie, what'd you think of it? Well, I fell asleep during part of it. Yes, you did. But was it because it was boring or because you were tired? I was tired. It was actually pretty good. And I didn't want to see it because I don't like Olivia Munn. Everyone knows that. But I saw it because I did. And it was it was okay. It was not bad. And she didn't talk that much, so big plus. Yeah, so um, from all the reviews that um, are out there about X-Men Apocalypse, it's a step back for the X-Men franchise, it's garbage, it's this, it's that. It wasn't nearly as bad as everybody, um, you know, said it was. Like, not nearly as bad as everybody said it was. There have um, been worse X-Men movies. Yes, that's for sure. Um, I mean, I would say that, yeah, X-Men, I mean, Apocalypse, like Apocalypse as a character, you know, wasn't nearly as, like, the big intimidating figure that you would expect him to be like he is in the comics. So, I mean, there is that. Um, you did see a little bit of like the big intimidating figure like later in the movie, but it was like in a like a like an in mind dream sequence. Um, so, but I mean, in general, I thought they did a good job of telling the story. I know a lot of people said it was like convoluted. Um, it did bounce back and forth a little bit as far as timeline went, but I mean, in general, it made sense. Like, if you've ever seen the Pulp Fiction movie or you've seen this kind of movie and it's kind of going back and forth. I mean, it generally makes sense if you're able to follow that kind of storyline. I mean, there are people that watch those kind of movies and like it was confusing, like it was, it was just too much. You but have like, to pay attention is the thing. People don't pay attention anymore. Yeah, like I mean, yeah, I mean, you do have to use a you know minute amount of brain power in order to comprehend the story that's being told to you. I mean, I mean, the story was a little more complex, and you did have to actually try to follow it a little bit. Um, I mean, you know, I but... fell asleep during it, and I still caught up, so it's it's not that hard, people. Right. It was it was a, it was a good film. Um, so, uh, you know, basically, um, you know, I'll kind of just 
try to lay it out there in a in order. Um, it's kind of hard to do just because of a lot of the, you know, like time jumps or storyline jumps. Um, you know, but the basic premise is um, that, uh, you know, Cyclops is like developing his powers and he makes his way to, um, you know, the School of the Gifted, um, you know, uh, let me think. So that's when he meets Jean Grey. Jean Grey is like still developing her powers. Um, she's having a little bit of trouble with like like sleeping and like this is how they're kind of introducing like you know the whole phoenix transition um you know nobody knows where magneto is basically he's gone off and like started a started a family has a wife and kids and is trying to live a normal life um you have uh, mystique that uh ends up finding um nightcrawler and like archangel kind of like in a mutants fighting ring where humans are basically like you know forcing them to fight and uh she ends up rescuing um nightcrawler and not angel um one of his wings ends up getting damaged in this fight because of like an electrical fence and so like uh he was uh pretty badly injured um so um what ends up happening is there they, they they show how um apocalypse had like four four horsemen who basically like assisted him in like being this god that he was during the Egyptian times. And so um these Egyptian shoulder soldiers um tried to double cross him to kill him off because he's you know a false god. Um he would transfer his uh he would transfer like his consciousness to like another body of another mutant that would essentially help him live again because you know he basically restart in the younger body and two is he would um basically overtake their powers so that's why that tells the story of how apocalypse like has so many different powers and so um this last mutant whose powers he took when he transferred um his i guess his being was like a super healing mutant and uh what ends up happening when these soldiers try to kill him it kind of sets off a huge chain reaction that causes a collapse of a pyramid and all of his disciples die and he ends up getting like buried in like this middle transition part where like he basically goes into like a kind of hibernation. So then it fast forwards in time and um, you know Egyptians are basically trying to find where this possible god has been buried and uh, hadn't actually found him. They just kind of found some hieroglyphs about where he was and then... Um, What's the lady's name? You you knew the actress's name. The she was oh, like archaeologist slash CIA agent. It's Rose Byrne. Okay, so Rose Byrne. I don't know her character's name in the movie. It's like Moira or Myra or something. Yeah, something like that. So like she was on the beaches with uh, Professor Xavier in Cuba in one of the X Men movies or whatever. And so um, she's basically had her memory wiped, um, but she's trying to find um, this same burial location. And so what ends up happening is when she does find out where these people are basically meeting, she inadvertently causes, like, sunlight contact with this uh, rock that, like, basically makes, um, uh, why am I, what, I'm drawing a fucking blank. Um, apocalypse. Yeah, makes, uh, makes Apocalypse come back to life. And so, um, 
you know, he's basically like figuring out that like he's in like a completely different time. He's looking around the world around him, and he's able to basically sense mutants. So the first mutant that he senses is Storm, and so um, Storm kind of befriends him and is kind of showing him around, takes him to like wherever she's staying, and uh, he ends up learning the language, all that kind of stuff. Well, then he bestows her with power. Um, he's basically realized, oh, the meek have inherited the earth. Like, this world belongs to mutants and needs to be cleansed. Um, he doesn't really tell her that, but, like, you know, that's what his plans are. So he bestows her with a shit ton of power, amplifies her power, and um, he wants to find three more people to assist him. So she knows of somebody to, you know, that basically fits that description and introduces... Uh, him to this guy who knows where all these other mutants are and he's not really cooperative but one of his bodyguards is Psylocke so in comes Olivia Munn um the thing about Olivia Munn's character is although she did play a really good Psylocke looked the part um did well like in her action sequences she didn't have a speaking part like she said all of like maybe 10 words the whole movie thank goodness which is probably a good thing yeah so um you know, he ends up recruiting her, and her power gets amplified as well. So then Psylocke is like, okay, I know where Magneto is because so-and-so was looking for him, blah, blah, blah. And also knows of Angel. So um, she finds this out because... Uh, um, she finds this out because, who was it? Uh, Mystique and Nightcrawler had also been in there earlier. And... Um, this guy had told Mystique where Magneto was. So now she knows where he is. So they all go together to recruit Angel, but Angel's got a fucked up wing. He ends up bestowing Angel with power, and that's how he basically becomes Archangel, and how he gets his metal wings, and how he's able to basically shoot like daggers from his wings and stuff. It is because of um, Apocalypse bestowing this power on him. So then they also find Magneto... And, uh, you know, basically amplify his power. And um, Apocalypse also basically gives gives them their uniforms. Like the uniforms that they have, Magneto's helmet, all that type of stuff. Um, you know, uh, he basically comes to Magneto at a point where Magneto basically decides that he does want humans to die. Um, you know, some people where he was living found out that he was a mutant. And uh, these police find out that he can manipulate metal. They try to take him into custody. Um, his daughter freaks out. Well, she's part mutant. And as it turns out, she's got um, some control over animals, um, but doesn't know how to control her power. So when she starts getting upset, all of these birds and stuff start attacking these police officers. And one of them lets an arrow fly that inadvertently kills the daughter and the mother at the same time. So then he kills like 10 police officers. And, uh, you know, basically decides that, like, you know, this is the life he's going to live and he's going to, you know, help exterminate humans. So, you know, he joins Team Apocalypse. He gets his powers um, boosted, but Professor Xavier is looking for him. And, uh, you know, he gets into his head, finds out where he is using Cerebrum. But what ends up happening is Apocalypse basically taps into Professor Xavier's shit, finds out where all these other mutants are, and... Uh, you know, then they basically end up kidnapping um, Professor X, and uh, you know, part of the um, the basically the school gets blown up, and uh, you know, some of the mutants 
that were there end up getting taken into custody by, uh, God damn it, what's his name, Major... Stryker? Yeah, Major Stryker. Um, you know, along with... Uh, so they, they end up getting taken into custody, and they basically can't use any of their mutant abilities. Well, Cyclops, Gene, and Nightcrawler basically go after them and try to rescue... Um, uh, it's who they take, Mystique, Beast... Uh, the kid with the... Quicksilver? Yeah. Quicksilver and somebody else. So, no um, way. He was, he was helping them. He was helping the other ones break them out, right? I think so. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. So, so all this is, so all this is happening. And, um, uh, you know, it, it also introduces the fact that Quicksilver finds out or knows that Magneto is his father. And so he's been trying to find Magneto to tell him, hey, you're my dad. And so, you know, that's also like part of the storyline that's getting played into that and that, um, you know, Mystique, even though she doesn't feel like she's a hero, there's a lot of people that look up to her because of what happened in the last X-Men movie. So, um, you know, all this is happening, you know, when they're trying to, um, you know, rescue, uh, you know, Beast and Mystique and everybody, um, Jean Grey, Cyclops, and uh, Nightcrawler um, get into a particular room and inadvertently find Weapon X. Well, as it turns out, Weapon X is actually Wolverine. And, um, you know, at this point, he has his adamantium claws. He's hooked up to, you know, these machines and shit still. He fucking goes on a, on a rampage and kills, like, pretty much every guard in that facility before um, he's about to escape. He runs into Jean Grey who was able to give him some of his memories back before he runs out into the snow and disappears into the distance, which I think in this time period is happening before some of the other movies, uh, other Wolverine movies that took place. And, um, you know, so that, you know, introduces how, like, you know, he, you know, plays into, like, his kind of feelings for uh, Jean Grey and the love triangle that, you know, ends up becoming... You know, with Jean Grey and Wolverine and Cyclops and uh, Jean Grey. And so, um, you know, all these all these uh, people get rescued, you know, and then they still need to rescue, uh, you know, Professor X. And so, you know, they have to go after him. There ends up, uh, you know, there ends up being a pretty gnarly final battle, um, you know, with, uh, with uh, Mystique, Beast, Cyclops. Uh, Jean Grey, Professor Xavier, Nightcrawler against um, uh, friggin' uh, Psylocke, um, Psylocke, Archangel, Magneto, and Storm. And so uh, Apocalypse is basically trying to transfer his um, his consciousness into Professor X because... You know, with Professor X's power, he'll basically be, he'll be unstoppable. You know, he'll have the ability to get into um, other mutants' heads and basically be able to, uh, um, you know, basically be able to control them. And he'll be able to know, you know, where other mutants are and things like that. So, um, you know, there's there's some pretty badass battles, um, you know, at some points, like, Storm's getting her ass kicked, Archangel's getting her ass kicked, you know, there's a lot of different shit happening, you know, they're appealing to Magneto's, um, you know, better side, and in it, you know, what's stupid is that, you know, Quicksilver actually talks to Magneto, 
and doesn't tell him, hey, you're my dad. Like, you've been looking for him this whole time, and you don't fucking tell him anything. You're just like, I'll tell him when the time's right. Like, how retarded is that? I hate that about storylines. So. Yeah, they're saving it for another movie. It's Yeah, it's just stupid. They're going to wait until, like, Magneto's about to die, or Quicksilver's about to die, and then it's like, no, he's my son this whole time. Why didn't he say something? It's fucking dumb. It's played out. So, um, you know, so with all that, the only one of the horsemen that um, was helping Apocalypse that doesn't double-cross him is Psylocke. Psylocke's the only one that double-cross him and actually fights the X-Men until the very end. And so once they've stopped Apocalypse um, from you know, taking over Professor Xavier's body and damaging enough for him to basically, you know, be beaten to submission. Does kind of everybody else just, you know, stop fighting or actually tries to help the X-Men, you know, defeat Apocalypse. Um, so the only one that was, like, still loyal to him was Psylocke, who basically, like, slips into the shadows and, and leaves. So, um, you know, that's basically... You know where the story ends. That's the story in a nutshell. Um, the movie was really good. I wouldn't believe what the critics say about it. Um, it was decent. I think Quicksilver was a great character, and um, I think they did a good job of telling the story that they wanted to tell. Um, there wasn't a lot of confusion in it. I mean, like I said, there were stupid things. Like I thought it was dumb. Like okay, Quicksilver wants to. You know, tell dad that, you know, that's his dad and whatever and then doesn't say anything. I mean, but that's just like shit that you could say about any movie. Um, and by thought in general, they did a good job. So then when it goes to the end credits, there's that end scene. What do you think? I thought it was good. The end scene was good. <laughs> it was the best. Yeah. I'm not Ben. Thank you. <laughs> Well, I mean, what is in, what is, what happens? So there's a dude walking around the facility where they had been at. Um, he goes in and picks up some more vials of blood that are from Weapon X, and uh, they zoom in on a suitcase which says SX on it. So everyone's saying that means it's going to be Mister Sinister in the next movie. Which big bad. Yeah, which would be super cool because when they chose Apocalypse, I was like, oh yeah, Apocalypse is a good bad guy. And I'm like, but I really like to see Mr. Sinister. And so then people were like, oh yeah, it's going to be Mr. Sinister. I'm like, uh-huh, fuck yeah. Because I thought Mr. Sinister was always a fantastic bad guy. You know, especially like in the older X-Men cartoons they used to play on like Saturday mornings, like back in the day. Like, um, I always thought that uh, Mr. Sinister was a really cool fucking bad guy. Kind of whiny, but over, you know, generally a pretty good bad guy. So, um, that'll be, I'm pretty excited to see that. Like I said, movie wasn't terrible. Definitely go see it. I mean, if you still have your reservations about the movie, then just go see the movie during a matinee. You know, I mean, I'm sure wherever you live, there's some movie theater in your town that has like matinee showings before five o'clock where you can get in for like six bucks, seven bucks instead of paying like the whole $12 or whatever it is. So, I mean, if you have reservations, I mean, definitely just go do that. I don't really think you'll be terribly disappointed, um, you know, but, I mean, everybody has their preferences of, like, what they expect from certain movies, but um, I would just say I wasn't mad. I wasn't like, fuck, I paid $24 for this movie, you know? It was good. So, 
Um, with that, that's our review. And uh, more Jubilee next time. Yeah, Jubilee was there, but didn't really play a role at all. Um, so um, we're going to be seeing the Warcraft movie tomorrow, and we'll probably be recording a podcast shortly after that just to talk about the movie. Not shortly um, after that. Not like not like fucking tomorrow night. Like it'll be like a day or two afterward, but we'll talk about the movie. So, um, again, thanks for listening. Episode fourteen, uh, Phoenix Comic Con edition with the X Men Apocalypse review, um, and uh, we will again say good day. Bye. 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 <laughs> Don't fucking out by me. Bye. No.